thank you for that reading of the scripture, John, and for the comments. Yes, there are uh, eight ones in Ephesians chapter 4. Each of these indicate a subject uh, that is very important to us. And the subject we want to take under consideration this morning is the subject of baptism. And I have chosen uh, a, an illustration on the board so that you can see on the screen in order to depict what is understood and known to be baptism. Now the word baptism is a, a transliteration, which means that, that they, they took the Greek word, the Greek letters, and instead of translating the word, they transliterated it. They used the Greek letters to make the word. So the word baptism is from the Greek word of beta, alpha, pi, tau, iota, sigma, mu, and sometimes dz or zeta and then an omega or an alpha. Anyway, that, those are the Greek words, B-A-P-T-S-M, baptism. So the, I, I'm not sure why this is done. But it, it has led to some confusion as to what it is. And so we're not going to deal with what churches and men have said about what they think it is over the years. Because if you start down that road, you're going to introduce a lot of confusion into your mind. What we want to do is look at what the Bible says about it and see what the Bible says about it and understand the importance of it. Now, as a people and as an individual... I want to tell you that, that I believe very strongly that baptism is absolutely essential for a relationship with God. That the Bible teaches very clearly that we must be baptized in order to enter into a relationship with God. It actually stands on the threshold of an old life that we have and a new life that we're going to gain. Now sometimes... Uh, we we uh, look at events and say, okay, how can we how can we mark out when something takes place? Well, for instance, how do we know when a, a, pre, a president takes office? Well, he goes through what is known as a swearing-in ceremony. So he may be prepared to be the president, and we may have voted him in as a president. And he may be standing ready to serve as a president, but he is not the president. He does not come into the Oval Office or into the presidency until he's sworn in. And a lot of things like this are, are before us. For instance, if you're going to enter a competition and you're going to, you're going to compete either on a, in a track event or you're going to, compete, going to compete in some other sort of activity... You have to register, and then you have to be part of it, and you have to know when that's going to happen. So it, it's, uh, to me, and it, of course this is just, just my thinking along this line, to me we need to find a point where we can say, yes, this is when I entered into a definitive relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And it's not just something we sort of phase into. It's, it's actually an act that signifies when this takes place. So we can, we can concretely come back to it and say, yes, this is when it happened. Now I know there are a lot of people that believe that uh, faith only saves, and that when you reach the point of faith, when your faith is strong enough, then you're saved. Well, we understand that, 
that faith is necessary. We're saved by grace through faith, that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. We understand that. But there is a point in our life when we actually come in contact with the blood of Jesus Christ. And it's a definitive place where we can point to and say, this, this is when it happened. Now, I'm looking at the birth of, a, of an infant. We know that when an infant is conceived, that it's just the embryonic stage, that life has begun. But in, it's not until the infant comes out of the mother's womb and comes into the life and begins to breathe that that infant is alive. Now, the Bible teaches in John chapter 3, in verse 3 through 6, Jesus said, you must be born again if you enter the kingdom of heaven. To get into the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again. And Nicodemus said, how is it possible? And Jesus said, a man must be born of water and of the Spirit. Two elements. One is water. The other is the Spirit. And that, of course, has to do with how the Spirit enters into it and reacts with our spirit. So, let's just start out. What we sometimes ignore when we're talking about baptism, we ignore the primary example that God has given us so that we can understand exactly what baptism is. And that is in the baptism of John. Now, John came as an innovator. Baptism was not known before John the Baptist, John the Baptizer, John the Immerser. He, baptism wasn't known as far as an, an, an institution that introduces anybody into a different relationship. So John came preparing the way of the Lord. As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 3 at verse 11, he said, he came, he said, repent and be baptized. He was preparing the way of the Lord. Isaiah chapter 40, as a matter of fact says, he was coming for that reason to prepare the way of the Lord. So we, we need to take a very careful look at what John was doing and what took place, what transpired during his lifetime and how he was baptizing. He was immersing people. They were coming to him and they were repenting of their past sins. And in order to verify that repentance, in order to make sure that they were repenting, John baptized them. He immersed them. And it's called the baptism of repentance. And it's also called the baptism of repentance unto the remission of sins. In Luke chapter 3 at verse 3, that's the, that's the reference there. But we understand that what John is saying is, he's baptizing them unto repentance so that they could have their sins remitted when Jesus came and shed his blood. Hebrews 9.22 says, there is no remission without the shedding of blood. So we have... Baptism of repentance. John saying, "Get ready, repent, and you will you'll you'll be a candidate for having your sins remitted." That's that's basically what he's saying. He 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 uh, baptized in the river Jordan because, according to John chapter three at verse twenty six, there was much water. Now, how serious are we about baptism? The Church of Christ, churches of Christ are very serious about it because we believe it's necessary. Amen. We believe God said that we must do it and that we do it. We, we, that's the very thing that we do. We believe that if, you're, if you believe in Jesus Christ, if you have confidence in Him, you will do what He says. And what He says is, what He told His apostles, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. 
So we have actually provided a place where we can baptize people. Behind me, we have what, what we call a baptistry, the place of immersion. And it's fairly tepid water, and we have all the garments ready. So what I want to tell you is, if at the conclusion of this service, if you say, hey, I think I better be baptized, we have everything ready for you. That's how serious we are about this. All you have to do is make the decision and say, I'm ready, I want to confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and I want to be baptized into Him for the remission of my sins. And we will accommodate that. So, just so you know as we move along. Now, baptism, John's baptism, was a command of God. In Matthew chapter 21, verse 23 through 27, Jesus met with the chief priests and the elders of His people, and they came to Him and they said, Hey, what... By what authority are you doing what you're doing? Who gave you the right to do these things? And Jesus said, I'll answer you if you'll answer me. He said, if you will tell me about John's baptism, by what authority was it from heaven or from men? And they said, if we say it's from heaven, he'll say, why weren't you baptized? <laughs> if we say it's from men, we fear the people. They think John was a prophet. They'll stone us. So they couldn't answer it. But we know that it was a command of God. And we also know that these same individuals, and I want to take you to a book, to a chapter, a passage in Luke chapter 7, where Jesus actually referred to the individuals who were standing there. Some of them were scoffing. They came to scoff. They came to say, oh, uh, this, this isn't necessary. We don't need to do this. And what are you, why are you doing this sort of thing? So let's look in Luke chapter 7. And as many of you, if you've read the initial versions of John baptizing in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, uh, and Matthew 4, and Luke, Luke uh, chapter 3, and Mark chapter 1, and John chapter 1. All these accounts tell us about John baptizing. But it also tells us in Luke chapter 3 and Matthew chapter 4 that some of them standing there were scoffers. They had no intention of being baptized. They didn't want to do it. They didn't think they had to do it. And I could probably imagine some of the arguments they made. Well, we can repent. We don't have to be baptized. What does that have to do with repentance? The point is, John said, you need to do it. You need to be baptized for repentance. And so in John, in Luke chapter 7, and verse 28, he confronted some of these same men. He said unto you, among those that are born of women, there's not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. But he that is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And all the people that heard him and the publicans justified God, being baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized of him. They rejected the counsel of God against themselves. So, what we're doing is, and I think you see it, I'm showing you that John is setting forth the example of baptism. We know what it is. We know that it came from God. And we know that in order to accept it, we need to understand that it is a commandment of God. And that if we reject it, we're rejecting the counsel of God. That's just that simple. That's John's baptism. But that's the pattern he gave us. That's the pattern. John was the innovator. We didn't know anything about baptism. Had no idea what it was. John came 
and introduced it, and he took all the heat from the individuals about it. But he introduced it, and he said, here's what you have to do. Now, here's something that we need to keep in mind. Someone came to be baptized of John that didn't need it. Didn't need to be baptized. But he was baptized anyway. You know who that was? Jesus came. And when he came to John in Matthew chapter 3, verse 13 through 15, he came to John and John said, wait a minute. He said, you ought to baptize me. And he was pretty well right there, wasn't he? Jesus said, suffer to be so, we will fulfill all righteousness. So, if Jesus submitted himself to baptism, well, you know where we're going. Let's talk about something else before we get into the next, next chart. And I'll, I'll, I'll put the chart up here anyway. But let's talk, let's talk about Holy Spirit baptism. Now, John said that there's one standing here in Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Now, a lot of us begin to think about, well, maybe that's the baptism that Jesus is talking about, that the New Testament is talking about, Holy Spirit baptism. I want to tell you a couple of things about Holy Spirit baptism. First of all, it was promised only to certain individuals. In, in uh, Acts chapter 1, the apostles had gathered together after the resurrection of Jesus. And they'd gathered together and they asked the question, they said, Lord, are you going to restore the kingdom at this time to Israel? And Jesus said, it's not for you to know the times or seasons that God has placed in his, in his, in, uh, that, that he has made himself. He said, but John truly baptized the water, verse 5, you will be baptized the Holy Spirit not many days hence. So he told them, you, talking to the individuals that were there, you'll be baptized the Holy Spirit not many days hence. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 5, the Holy Spirit fell upon those who were gathered together. There were 120 of them. Those who were gathered together, the Holy Spirit came down with tongues of fire and they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. So they were endowed with power from the Holy Spirit. And then when Peter got up to preach, he preached that Jesus has been made the King and King of Lord of Lords, that God had exalted him. David was still dead. But God had exalted him above all, and that they had, by wicked hands, crucified and slain him. They asked the question, what must, sir, 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 what must we do? And he said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus, for the remission of your sins. They that gladly received his word were baptized. There were added unto them about 3,000 souls, verse 41. So we have the baptism of the Holy Spirit and water baptism. Baptism of the Holy Spirit, as God promised, on these individuals, and they then were endued with power, and they went out preaching the gospel, preaching and teaching the gospel, and verifying the fact that it was from God by the signs and wonders that God had performed among them. That's one time that it happened. It happened on another occasion in Acts chapter 10. And in this, this particular time, they didn't believe, people did not believe that everyone had a right to the kingdom. That everyone had a right to a relationship with God. They felt like only the Israelites had that privilege. So that if you were not of that blood, Israelite blood, then you were not going to be part of God's kingdom. 
his everlasting kingdom. Well, Peter was sent to a house, the house of one man named Cornelius. And Cornelius was a centurion of, of the Italian band. He was, he was a Gentile. And when Peter got there, and he took six men with him, according to the vision that he had received. So in, in Acts chapter 10, he was there. and He was talking to them about Jesus of Nazareth. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit fell upon these people. So I'm reading in verse 44 of Acts chapter 10. We'll just read a few verses there to demonstrate what took place and what, what Peter's reaction was. 10 verse 44 says, While Peter yet spoke these words, the Holy Spirit fell on them which heard the word. They of the circumcision, that was the house of Israel, which believed were astonished, as many as came with Peter, because on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Spirit. They heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. The same thing happened to them here that happened on the day of Pentecost in Jerusalem. Then answered Peter, and I want you to understand this. These are the only two times this happened in the New Testament. The only two events. One, when the Israelites were allowed into the kingdom. And the second, when all Gentiles, all nations, including us, are allowed into the kingdom. It says, then Peter said, can any man forbid water? Okay, that these should not be baptized, which have received the Holy Spirit as well as we. And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. Then prayed they him to tarry certain days. So we're not talking about Holy Spirit baptism when we talk about the one baptism. We're talking about water baptism. That is commanded. We, we need to look at this a couple of different ways. One is, if it's Holy Spirit baptism, then it can't be a command. It cannot be a command. God cannot command us to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. We cannot be taught to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Jesus said when He told the apostles to go, He said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Now, if, if that meant Holy Spirit baptism, then how does that take place? He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Does that mean then that you have to wait and see if God is going to immerse you with the Holy Spirit? And so that you can speak with other languages and perform miracles? That can't be. Because baptism is a commandment. What must we do, these people said. And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So baptism is a response to a commandment. It is not the receiving of a gift. After you baptize, then the Holy Spirit comes into your life. And that's called the gift of the Holy Spirit. You, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So the Spirit comes into you after you're baptized and you come up out of the waters of baptism. Then you, then you have the Holy Spirit. Well, let's look at the purpose of baptism then and, and see this. We've already noticed in John chapter 3, at verse 3 through 6, that uh, the purpose of baptism is the new birth. Well, I'm born again. That tells me here's when I can get out of my old world and I come into the new world. That means that I'm born again. I, I'm a, as a matter of fact, Paul, said, Paul likened it to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So he said, Know ye not that as so many of us have been baptized into Christ, have been buried with Him in baptism, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the power of God, we also should walk in newness of life? That's a very simple statement, isn't it? 
We're born again. For some reason, people seem to resist the idea of baptism. They resist the idea that, that we have to be baptized in order to get into Christ. And yet the Bible tells, tells us very plainly that that's what happens. Galatians 3.27 says, We're baptized by one Spirit, all baptized into one body. We're baptized into Jesus Christ. We're baptized into Him. We're, we put on Jesus Christ. We're baptized into the body. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and at verse 13. In Acts chapter 10 at verse 22 and 1 Peter 3.21, it's not the washing away of the filth of the flesh, but it's the answer of a good conscience toward God. Now, here's the point. We talked about John the Baptist and his baptism. And we talked about the fact that somebody came out, all these guys came out and said, okay, we're going to see what John's doing. The priests and the high priests and the rulers and so forth. And they, they stood there and they scoffed at it. They said, uh, they probably were saying, what, what difference does it make? Baptism, what difference does it make? But John said that they were rejecting the counsel of God. So it, it's very important for us that when we talk about baptism, that we're careful that we're not rejecting the counsel of God against ourselves. Somebody says, well, you know what, preacher? I was saved when I laid my hand on the radio. Well, you know, I, I really appreciate the fact that people believe in Jesus Christ. I really do. And I appreciate the fact that they want to give their whole heart and mind and everything they have to Jesus Christ. But when you come face to face with the fact that Jesus said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, remission of sins, how can we conscientiously resist doing that? Well, a person says, I've already been saved. Then I say, Okay, let's look back at John. What about Jesus? He was already all right, wasn't he? He didn't have to be baptized. He was already there. So when I come over and I say, hey, I've already, I already believe in Jesus Christ. Okay. Follow His example. Jesus was baptized. Why? To fulfill all righteousness. It's not the washing away of our filth of our flesh. It's the answer of a good conscience toward God. And it's called in Titus chapter 3 at verse 5, it's called the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. So, it's a new birth. That means that that's, I, can, I can tell you when I became a Christian. I can tell you when I came into contact with the blood of Jesus Christ. I can tell you exactly when that happened. I know the date. I know the hour. I know the time. I know it. And so that gives me a threshold. It gives me assurance that I know when I've done what God told me to do. And that He said, Bill, I'm going to take your sins away. I know that. I know that I have a new life. I, I rose, I rise and walk in newness of life. And now then, I'm no longer an old man. I'm now a new man. I've been reborn and I've put on Jesus Christ. And I'm living with Him, trying to live with Him. It's the answer of my good conscience toward God. Well, someone may also uh, think about what happens if if uh, some of these folks were already baptized by John, what happened to them when they came? When Jesus came, in Acts chapter nineteen, there's an example. 
And I want to read that for you. Because Paul ran across some of these people, and I want to read, I want to read this very carefully to you. Because in Acts chapter 19, it says, It came to pass while Paul was at Corinth, that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Spirit? Now watch his next words. Since you believed. Watch that. Have you received the Holy Spirit since you believed? They were already believers. They were already believers in Jesus Christ. Already believers. Okay, then why do you want to baptize them, Paul? They're already believers. Well, he said, have you received the Holy Spirit since you believe? They said, we, we don't even know anything about the Holy Spirit. Paul said, John baptized the baptism of repentance, saying unto the people that they should believe on Him which should come after Him, that is, on Christ Jesus. When they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke with tongues and prophesied, and all the men were about twelve. Okay, here were people who had already been baptized, who already believed, but Paul said, you need to be baptized. You need to be baptized. So, when we're talking to people who say, I believe that I'm already saved, then my question is, have you been baptized into Jesus Christ? If the response is, I don't think I have to. <laughs> then, I, then I have to look at the New Testament and say, wait a minute. God said, be baptized. They'll say, well, I, I really don't think it makes any difference then we're saying, doesn't make any difference what God has commanded. Neighbor, I'm not trying to be argumentative about this. I just want you to understand that the one baptism that Jesus is talking about is the one that puts us into His Son. Puts us into Jesus Christ. It puts us into the kingdom. You know, there's a statement made in 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and at verse 11. And uh, sometimes we, we miss this one when we're talking about baptism. But Paul is talking about the Corinthians and how, how bad of people they had been before. And I'd like to read that, and I'll start reading at verse, at verse 9. He says, He said, Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves of mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. You can't inherit the kingdom. And such were some of you, but you are washed. You are sanctified. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. What he's saying is you are now in the kingdom. You couldn't get in the kingdom before, before you were washed. But now you can get in the kingdom because you've been washed, you've been justified, you've been sanctified. Baptism is the one baptism then that we're talking about and and certainly we don't want to insult anybody uh, by talking about this and, and uh, commenting on, on the faith that, that you have. I, I know that we all have faith in God and in Jesus Christ. But like James said, he says, Show me your faith without your works, and I'll show you my faith by my works. Man is not saved by faith only. We have to respond to the commandments of God. 
And one very plain commandment standing right at the beginning of our relationship with God is repent and be baptized for the remission of sins. And you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, the promises unto you, to your children, to all that are far off. God help you think about these things. Think about them seriously. Look at God's Word. Don't take my word for it. Look at the passages that we've cited. Look at God's Word and ask yourself, do I need to be baptized into Christ? And if we can help you, of course, we stand ready to do that right now.